Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. God in the marriage, and this is where you start button heads. Any amens on that? Okay, good. Now you get it. Now, what I want to do now, I want to take you to some application. And I want to take some things that we've talked about in the past, some dysfunctional issues, relational dysfunctional issues, and now apply them in marriage as a result of this world's collide, how these things kind of work. And we could go a hundred different ways on this, but I'm going to give you some, and I just want to help. Don't stone me. Don't get me. Don't get, uh, amen. Okay, praise the Lord. You guys didn't amen. Okay, but. So here we go. I'm going to give you three bullet points of where I see this happening, of where we could take from Genesis 3 if I went back into it. The first thing is, now we find control. Control becomes an issue in marriage, does it not? Selfishness enters into humanity. And isn't this true? Doesn't this affect marriage? You get married, but I want what I want when I want it, right? I want you to do what I think we should do, Right? Why can't, I'm going to buy that. I don't care what you say, right? Right? No, I'm going to go hang with my friends. I don't care for me. You know, no, I'm going to go do what I want. Am I right? And then the fight's on. Any amens? It's like two rams button heads, huh? It's a lot of fun, huh? Now, let me show you something here. Let me just tell you. In Genesis chapter 2, when God takes the rib from Adam's side, it says he fashions it fashions it, fashions it into a woman. But here's the deal. Have you ever noticed in marriage, maybe not yours because yours are so perfect, but in other marriages, that opposites attract. Have you ever noticed that? But once they attract and get married, then they attack. Am I right? (laughs) They attract and then they attack. Am I right? In the form of We try to play God with each other, and I'm going to refashion you into what I think you should be. Any amens? And we try to make our spouse, I mean, and I try, but you know, with a Mexican wife, it just doesn't work, okay? (laughs) And I can say that because I'm Mexican, all right? So, and I don't really care what the cancel culture says for that matter. They can cancel themselves for all I care. Um, But opposites attract, then they attack. Because what do we do in marriage? Well, I'm God, no, I'm God. Well, I'm God, no, I'm God. We try to refashion our spouse into what we want them to be, right? Am I right? And then the fight's on, is it not? Isn't it weird we fell in love with this person that was the exact opposite of us, and then we get married, but now, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to refashion you into what I want you to be. In fact, we try to make them into ourselves. Am I right? You, want to really, you really want to be married to you? That doesn't even sound fun at all. Now, when we do this and we try through control because I'm God and I'm going to control you, when we try to fashion our spouse into what we want them to be, there's, there's some things that happen. If I'm trying to refashion Olivia and she's not having any of it, then I'm going to get frustrated, am I not? But Olivia, she's going to become disappointed. Is she not? Well, how so, Jim? 
because she'll always feel like she's never good enough. I'm always trying to make her into something that's different. And she'll never quite feel loved. She'll never feel accepted. She'll always feel insecure because she's trying to fit a mold that I'm trying to fashion her into that she's not. Boy, did I try. And it just doesn't work. I'm a type A cleric. My life is action, action, action. My wife's life, she's a phlegmatic, laid-back personality. Her life is kickback, kickback, kickback. That's like War of the Worlds at my house. And I tried to drag her thing, try to get, no, nah, she's just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then the fight's on, is it not? We attract, then we attack. Let me tell you something. This is for the sake of, just for the sake of honesty so people can see how many of you are married have had some pretty good verbal fights raise your hand keep them up keep them up raise them high be proud come on <laughs> and look single people look around isn't that fun don't you want to just get married now now so it's on right now control I'm God no I'm God I'm God no I'm God I'm God no I'm God I'm the boss. No, I'm the boss. What if, just what if, in the middle of the fight, we both, we both just took a step back and said, I know what the problem is. It's me. I want what I want. I want what I want. What if you both did that? in the middle of a fight? How quick would the fight resolve? Like that. You know what the half-brother of Jesus said, James? In James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2? He tells you, here's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you. It's not the source of your pleasures. You lust, you desire, and you do not have, so you fight and you quarrel. You want what you want. Let me tell you something. If you got married and you want what you want all the time, you should have never got married. Because you're not mature, emotionally mature enough for marriage. You may be 25, 35, 45, but you're about 10 emotionally. Says, Jim, that offends me. Well, good. Because somebody needs to tell you the truth. But what if you took a step back and said, I know what the problem is. It's me. I want what I want. What if we all did that? Would that change anything? You better believe it would. It stops so many fights. Now, that's control. But let's move on. Let's go to the next one, and that's expectation. Expectation plays a big role within control and playing God, does it not? Now, do you like the stories I share about my dysfunctional life in the past? No, yes or no? I'm, I don't have to. Yes, yeah. Okay, so first five or six years of our marriage, it was, it was bad. You've heard the stories. If you weren't here, go back and listen to the series. I, I laid it all out. There was one night during that span, I woke up, and Olivia wasn't next to me in bed. And I got up, 
and I looked around the house. We lived in a really little house. She wasn't in the house. I looked out in the driveway. Her car's not there. And I think to myself, I know her parents are gone camping. So no one's at her parents' house. Maybe she's there. So I get in the car. By now it's about 2.30. I drive across town. I get to the house. Her car's in the driveway. I park. I go to the front door and I'm knocking. No answer. No response. I walk around the back. I knock on the back door. There's a couple windows back there, if I remember. And I see the curtain pulled. And there she is. I don't remember all the dialogue, but I do remember these words. I said, come home. You know what she said? She said, why? That's a really good question, huh? Why should I come home? I didn't have an answer back then. I didn't know what to tell her. I just knew that you need to come home. She goes, why? You see, she had already been going through so many years of me just emotionally shut down and she felt locked out of our relationship marriage-wise. And she goes, why? Why would I come, want to come back to that? I didn't have answers at that moment because I was just too much of an emotional mess. But as I started to learn and deal with the issues of my life, I, I, I understood, I understood what was the problem was. Remember I talked to you in that second message how I was so shut down? Anyone remember that one? If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. It's a tell-all. You can't believe a senior pastor was that messed up. But I was. What I've learned over the years is this. <clears throat> Where was Eve taken from? Rib from the side of Adam. You know what? It makes sense to me that a wife, listen, men, a wife, listen, men, a wife will always seek out and go back to the place where she was taken from. Close to you. Close to your heart. If you shut her out, you don't let her know what's going on in you, then what's she going to do in the fallen world? She's going to run after you. She's going to overflow you. She's going to run over you. She's going to get the emotional, relational jaws of life and try to open you up and try to get you to talk. Olivia was sending me a message that night. She was sending me a message. I, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. You see, women have a certain built-in expectation that they're going to be close to you. And that's where they feel most secure. And never forget that. Now, ladies, wives, 
and single girls doesn't close. See, I'm going to flip this script and I'm going to make you mad now, okay? Because there is dysfunction in this. The wife's desire to be to run after him, overflow him, run him over. She's going to try to get inside, try to get... Now, you could take this to an extreme expectation, can you not? The danger zone is this. Ladies, you marry a guy and you think, this is the answer to all my problems. He's going to meet all my needs. You just set him up for a failure right now. Because there's just no way. There's no way he can do that. All you're going to do is get angry with that guy. Because he's not God. And only God can meet all your needs. Can he not? And then the fellowship of church. If you're not in fellowship, if you're just thinking this guy's the guy and this is it, no. You need other pieces in life. Otherwise, you're going to walk around very disappointed. And then you're going to turn into one of those people I've seen going to groups and just laying, talking about how terrible their husband is. Have you ever thought that you were the unhappy one that came into marriage? Have you ever thought that? And then you thought that this guy was going to make you so happy? You put such high expectation on him that he could never achieve? That only God could achieve? Have you ever thought it's a brokenness from your childhood of why you put the expectation on this guy? Have you ever thought of getting healed up and dialoguing and talking and fixing these things? Only God can meet all your needs. Only God. And when you finally get that in your mind and start healing your heart, oh my gosh. The expectancy will go from here to about here. This is manageable, is it not? Is it not? That's a big, big deal right there. Now, then the third thing that we're going to pull out from the past in Genesis 3 is blame. Third bullet point, blame. <clears throat> blame is when you've entered into the danger zone, okay? Let me show you something right now. In Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> In verse 22, 23, and 24, watch. Then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Well, now he takes a rib, you know, prime rib, fashions into a woman. Now watch what the man, Adam, says when he sees Eve. He says, this is the first time he sees her. He says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, which means cut the cord, guys and ladies. Let me tell you something your husband never wants to hear. Well, my mother thinks, I tell you right now, that's that kryptonite. father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh okay <clears throat> Adam sees Eve here's this woman standing there nude in perfection he'd never even seen a woman before and he looks at her God walks her down the aisle in marriage naked Adam's standing there and Adam looks at her and he says this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. <laughs> now let me tell you how you and I would say it. 
we would say it more like this. All right. <laughs> Let's try that all together, men. All right. No, right has to go right. All right. Come on, guys. One, two, three. All right. Woo. And there she is. And man, Adam is really excited now. Up. And then they're tempted and they sin. And then the fall happens. Sin, shame comes into the world. Now watch this. After the sin comes in. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Verse 11 and 12. Watch, watch, watch. And he, God speaking, has said to Adam, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman! It's that woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. In other words, her fault and your fault for giving her to me. Well, that's taking responsibility for decisions, isn't it? Now, now watch. Now think, just think with me now. Chapter 2, he sees her. All right. Chapter 3, the fall. Sin comes into play. God comes in. Adam says, all wrong. Isn't he saying that? First his wife, he sees her, all right. Now the woman, all wrong. You know how we say it? She's not making me happy. He's not making me happy. This was a mistake. God, why'd you bring that person to me? It's a mistake. Yeah, you prayed for that person to come in your life. They're not making me happy. It's all wrong. I have a question. Is the marriage about making you happy? Is this the goal? Because if that's the goal, then you should have never gotten married. That's not the goal in marriage. It's about you bringing the happiness and the joy of the Lord into the marriage. And you bring it in the marriage. You don't look for the, you're going to make me happy. No, they're not going to make you mad. They're going to make you mad. Now, I'll leave that. So I'll answer the question of bosses and stuff like that. But I want to go to point two. Because point two is for a few people there, not for everyone, I think. Secondly, marriages that go wrong use wrong glue. Okay? Marriages that go wrong use wrong glue. Question, Adam and Eve sin. What's the first thing they grab and sew together to cover up? Fig leaves. Are the fig leaves that were once alive on the branch, are they now dying? Yes, they are. Are they now inanimate objects pretty much? Yes, they are. So now they take an inanimate object and that is dying, that doesn't have any life, and now they're putting them together to salvage the marriage, right? To keep it together. Any amens on that? Let me apply it. Okay. <clears throat> I wasn't here last week. And I really wanted to be, but I had the trip planned. Olivia and I are on this mission to see all 50 states. We're now at, I'm at 42. She's at 41. She's never been in New Mexico, and I have. We went to 
I, how many follow me on Facebook or Instagram? I'm, where are you people? No. Why do I do this? Then? Um, we're in Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma. You never want to go to Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma. If you're from there, that's probably why you're here today, okay? We just had to knock them out, all right? But if you like cornfields, hey, hey, there you go, buddy. You know, they had this one sign that said something hills. Hills? <laughs> like, there are no hills. I mean, it's just flat and just fields, one after another. It's crazy. We got to Tulsa on Thursday night, Friday morning, got up. I asked the front clerk at the hotel, I go, hey, so what are the sites to see? And we had a whole thing looking for different things. What, what's really cool to see in Tulsa? And she said, and I quote, nothing. <laughs> yeah. But I had, we had to do it to get knock out those states, you know. So I'd, I'll never go back there. Sorry, but I'll never go back there again. But it was, it, it's fun hanging out with people and doing something. Now, so Pastor Charlie um, Bacar, um, he taught, and, and I gave him the notes, and, but he, Charlie can't use my stories. I watched him as he did great, but he can't use my stories. And if he does, then I got to talk to him. No, I'm just joking. But let me, let me show you something about, you want to hear another story? The first so many years of marriage, the five or six were bad. I remember I would come home. This happened probably five times, maybe six. I come home and I'm looking for Olivia and I finally find her in the bedroom. And she'd be sitting on the bed and she'd have a box of tissues. And she's crying. She's crying. She's saying, I'm so blessed to have you. No, that's not what she said. <laughs> she had a Jim Voodoo doll. And, and, uh, but she's crying. And I'd say, what's the matter? And she said, all you do is work. And you're just always gone working. You have no time for us. You're not here. I remember the first time I said, and I apologized, I said, okay, I'll do better. And I didn't do better. It took about the fifth time. Coming home that, that way, every so many months, it would be the same thing. And, and I started, this is one of the processes where I said, I, I've got problems. But I realized as time went by, started to work on issues, understand shame issue. I understood why I was doing what I was doing, why I was working so much. As you know, I grew up in an alcoholic's home, which increases my shame issue exponentially. Because when you grow up in an alcoholic's home and your dad's intoxicated every day, and every day, you're not going to, like I told you before, you're not going to go to school during show and tell and say, hey, everybody, my dad was drunk last night. In fact, he was screaming and yelling. You're not going to do that. It's shameful. 
So I carried a lot of shame growing up. It affects your identity. You don't know who you are. You feel less than. And if you're honest with yourself, we all carry some of that stuff. So what happened was, because I am type A, I started to find my identity in my work. And I worked a lot, and a lot, and a lot. Now listen, listen. And because I started to succeed in things I would do, I get the pats on the back. You're doing great. It's great. You're great. But when you have a strong shame, identity, guess what the pats on the back do? They drive you to work more, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I come home, and my wife is frustrated and hurt with me because I'm not there and I'm not communicating. And remember I told you weeks ago that she would verbally jab me? And I thought she was the problem, and I finally realized I was the problem? But think about it. When you live in this thing and you're getting pats on the back for work, and you're coming home and she's verbally jabbing you, where would you rather go? Where would you rather go? Work. And that's what I started doing. Because I was getting the accolades. I was getting those things. I remember one time I came home from vacation. This is like 1998. Planted the church. Been about six years old. And I'd become a workaholic again. I went to the doctor because like, something's wrong with me. And the doctor said, what's the matter? I go, you know, doc, I said, and here's what I told him. I said, vacation ruins me for work. He said, well, we can give, I said, I just can't get going when I get back. He said, we can give you an antidepressant. I go, no, no one's depressed. I already been there. I've already done the depression thing. I'm not doing that again. I'm not depressed. And I realized, I said, the problem is I'm a workaholic again. I'm tearing myself apart. My body, when it went on vacation for seven days, it got so relaxed, it just couldn't even recover. And I, and I remember that's when the deacons ordered me in a meeting, you have to take Fridays off. That's your day off. You do not work on Fridays. I remember it. It was the best thing they ever ordered me to do. But it was tough. I can, I, I can remember because I would, I would, I fought this my whole life. I still fight it sometimes, except during the pandemic. Wouldn't let me be a workaholic. But I remember there was a period of time when I would jot down all my hours, everything I worked, every hour I put in for the church, outside the, outside the office, inside, everything. And I, when I would get to 65 hours a week, I'd feel great about myself. I'm outworking everybody. When I got to 70 hours a week, I really felt good about myself. How many know that's insanity? How many know that works against you? You think you're accomplishing. No, you're killing yourself. And so I got stuck in it again. But listen, some of you out there, watch out for the pats on the back. If that's your identity, it's going to pull you away from the people you love. Do you understand me? Do you understand me? It's just, it's all fig leaves. It's all the wrong glue. It doesn't hold relationships together. You know how many times I've sat across from a couple 
and they're they're in it man they're just battling you know war of the worlds etc and i said and i would have to pin one of the two down i said listen to it do you realize something and i would say do you realize what they're saying because you don't listen anymore i go what they're saying is they want you they don't care about the stuff they just want you I've had to just sit there and almost not physically, but jerk them and say, listen, they, they don't care about the fig leaves. It's nice to have. But they want you. You're the one that they married. They want you, my friends. They, you can't replace you. This is for one person, maybe two in here, or at home. I call it the honeymoon. You get in a fight, as usual, But you don't resolve it. What you do is you go on the honeymoon. Oh, let's go away for the weekend, babe. Okay. And you go away for the weekend and you have your honeymoon weekend and you're away from home, away from all the fighting and you think, oh, see, we're back. Finally, we're good again. You go home and it starts all over again. And you're just using the honeymoon thing as a, as a smokescreen. But you're not dealing with the real issues. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've watched that happen. I've seen people do this. That's why I label it the honeymoon. They want you. They want you. All this stuff, it's great and all, but they want you. Now, let me finish off today. In point three, how, would, how do we fix this? God is the boss and not you. God is the boss and not you. Now watch this. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. Watch. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, God is asking Adam a great question. He says, Who are you listening to? Who's been filling your mind with all this stuff? In other words, you could say it like this. Who told you that you'd be a God? Who, who told you that, huh? Now, Look at verse 17, because I said I'd answer what, what this verse actually means versus what people try to make it mean. Verse 17 says, Then Adam said, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, when he says, when he chastises uh, Adam for listening to his wife, please stop listening to bloggers or people who know nothing about the Bible. Would you stop that now? Because they'll take verses like this and say, see, they're just saying that God's a misogynist and men d dominate women. See what it is? God's against women. That's not what it's talking about. Don't listen to those things. Go to somebody who knows the Bible. And by the way, when people tell you, oh, you know, the Bible's filled with contradictions, let me tell you one thing you do to them. Get your Bible out and say, would you please show me three? They can't show you one. When they tell you, oh, the Bible has mistakes in it, pull out your Bible and say, would you show me the mistakes? They can't show you any. They're just going with what somebody else said, and that's all they're doing. Now, what it's saying is this in that verse. In the complete narrative story of Genesis 3, God is pointing out this. 
in marriage, Adam, neither you nor your wife are the boss. I am the boss. I'm the head coach. I tell you guys how to live. I direct you and what you're doing. You see, question, who's the only one on, in the universe, outside the universe, that can handle absolute power? Who is that? It's just God. You and I can't. It's just war of the worlds if we start to do that. Now, that's what he's telling them. Now, how, how do we stop these power plays in marriage besides growing up our emotions? Well, let me show you the truth. It's the last thought. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. You know, I hope you start, if you, whether you have your phone or not, but have a Bible here. If you're a Christian, you've got to learn this Bible. Otherwise, you lose every day and twice on Sundays because you're not studying this Bible, you're not reading it. This is God's love letter to you. Now watch Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21-22. Watch this. He says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, Jim, and subject could mean also because it says be sub submitted to your husband. Well, Jim, well, that sounds again like, you know, men dominate women. Wait, wait, whoa, no. Look at verse 22. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible, wives, look at it in your Bible. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Look at the words be subject or, or be submitted to. What's unique or different about those words? Louder? They're italicized. You know what that means? It means they're not in the, in the earliest Jew, uh, Greek manuscripts. They're put there to give more meaning to the verse. Now, if you take out those words, be subject, and it, it would say, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, you've got to back up a verse to give it definition, to give it more understanding. So you back up in verse 21, and it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Oh, now it's making more sense. So if I want to live a strong, healthy marriage, I'm not going to play God. She's not going to play God. I'm not the boss. She's not the boss. God is the boss. It's mutual submission to each other in the fear of God that we honor God and we live our life for Him because He's the head coach. Any amens? Does that make more sense? It surely does. And then when it says, in the fear of Christ and as to the Lord, we live our marriage the way Jesus lived toward us. Did he sacrifice his life for the sake of our benefit? Say yes. And in marriage comes a mutual submission. I sacrifice my life for my wife. She sacrifices her life for me. We have mutual submission, and therefore we can mutually exist in peace and harmony. Any amens on that? Does that make sense? Okay. Time. Okay, I got a minute. You do that, there's no more war of the worlds. You'll resolve your conflicts. 
I know when people get married, they, they in their mind, this is all the way. I'm marrying this person because I'm going all the way. Satan comes in and says, we'll see about that. Remember I was on a cruise to Alaska, 2005. If you've never been on one, go. I wanted to see a glacier. It's incredible. I like to go places because I was the, in our family, we went to Vegas or Ensenada. We really got around. And it wasn't because they didn't have money, trust me. It didn't go anywhere. And I decided I was going to do stuff. I was going to go. But we're on this cruise ship. Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. God in the marriage, and this is where you start button heads. Any amens on that? Okay, good. Now you get it. Now, what I want to do now, I want to take you to some application. And I want to take some things that we've talked about in the past, some dysfunctional issues, relational dysfunctional issues, and now apply them in marriage as a result of this world's collide, how these things kind of work. And we could go a hundred different ways on this, but I'm going to give you some, and I just want to help. Don't stone me. Don't get me. Don't get, uh, amen? amen? Okay, praise the Lord. You guys didn't amen. Okay, but. So here we go. I'm going to give you three bullet points of where I see this happening, of where we could take from Genesis 3 if I went back into it. The first thing is, now we find control. Control becomes an issue in marriage, does it not? Selfishness enters into humanity. And isn't this true? Doesn't this affect marriage? You get married, but I want what I want when I want it, right? I want you to do what I think we should do, right? Right? Why can't, I'm going to buy that. I don't care what you say, right? Right? No, I'm going to go hang with my friends. I don't care for me. You know, no, I'm going to go do what I want. Am I right? And then the fight's on. Any amens? It's like two rams button heads, huh? It's a lot of fun, huh? Now, let me show you something here. Let me just tell you. In Genesis chapter 2, when God takes the rib from Adam's side, it says he fashions it fashions it, fashions it into a woman. But here's the deal. Have you ever noticed in marriage, maybe not yours because you're just so perfect, but in other marriages, that opposites attract. Have you ever noticed that? But once they attract and get married, then they attack. Am I right? (laughs) They attract and then they attack. Am I right? In the form of we try to play God with each other, and I'm going to refashion you into what I think you should be. Any amens? And we try to make our spouse, I mean, and I try, but you know, with a Mexican wife, it just doesn't work, okay? And I can say that because I'm Mexican, all right? So, and I don't really care what the council culture says for that matter. They can cancel themselves for all I care. Um, but opposites attract, then they attack. Because what do we do in marriage? Well, I'm God, no, I'm God. Well, I'm God, no, I'm God. We try to refashion our spouse into what we want them to be, right? Am I right? And then the fight's on, is it not? 
Isn't it weird? We fell in love with this person that was the exact opposite of us, and then we get married, but now, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to refashion you into what I want you to be. In fact, we try to make them into ourselves. Am I right? You, want to, you really want to be married to you? That doesn't even sound fun at all. Now, when we do this and we try through control because I'm God and I'm going to control you, when we try to fashion our spouse into what we want them to be, there's, there's some things that happen. If I'm trying to refashion Olivia and she's not having any of it, then I'm going to get frustrated, am I not? But Olivia, she's going to become disappointed, is she not? Well, how so, Jim? Because she'll always feel like she's never good enough. I'm always trying to make her into something that's different. And she'll never quite feel loved. She'll never feel accepted. She'll always feel insecure because she's trying to fit a mold that I'm trying to fashion her into that she's not. Boy, did I try. And it just doesn't work. I'm a type A cleric. My life is action, action, action. My wife's life, she's a phlegmatic, laid-back personality. Her life is kickback, kickback, kickback. That's like War of the Worlds at my house. And I tried to drag her thing, try to get, no, nah, she's just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then the fight's on. Is it not? We attract then we attack. Let me tell you something. This is for the sake of, okay, just for the sake of honesty so people can see, how many of you are married have had some pretty good verbal fights? Raise your hand. Keep them up. Keep them up. Raise them high. Be proud. Come on. <laughs> and look, single people, look around. Isn't that fun? Don't you want to just get married now? Now, so it's on, right? Now, control. I'm God, no, I'm God. I'm God, no, I'm God. I'm God, no, I'm God. I'm the boss, no, I'm the boss. What if, just what if, in the middle of the fight, we both, we both just took a step back and said, I know what the problem is. It's me. I want what I want. I want what I want. What if you both did that in the middle of a fight? How quick would the fight resolve? Like that. You know what the half-brother of Jesus said, James? In James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2? He tells you, here's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you. It's not the source of your pleasures. You lust, you desire, and you do not have, so you fight and you quarrel. You want what you want. Let me tell you something. If you got married and you want what you want all the time, you should have never got married. Because you're not mature, emotionally mature enough for marriage. You may be 25, 35, 45, but you're about 10 emotionally. So Jim, that offends me. Well, good. Because somebody needs to tell you the truth. But what if you took a step back and said, I know what the problem is. It's me. I want what I want. 
What if we all did that? Would that change anything? You better believe it would. It stops so many fights. Now, that's control. But let's move on. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us.